Well, I'm excited this morning. I'm excited to share a message that I feel like has been settling in my heart, um, just not just this week, but just over the course of, of many months. And so um, we are actually going to go to the book of Mark, book of Mark, chapter nine. Um, and before we dive in, my favorite thing to do is really to give you a little bit of backstory. I want to tell you about where we are in the scripture and what is happening before we dive into the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. So to paint a picture, we're in the middle of Jesus's three-year ministry before he goes to the cross and is crucified. And so in this time, Jesus is traveling around, he's teaching, he's healing the sick, he's performing miracles everywhere. And in addition to that, he is also teaching his disciples to do the same so that when he leaves earth, there are others left here to go out and continue his ministry. And so we find the disciples in Mark chapter 9 in the middle of a city. Jesus is actually off um, on a mountain with a handful of disciples, um, and, and something is happening called the Transfiguration. It's where Jesus is revealed as the Messiah to some of his disciples. Um, and so Jesus is off, and then there's another group of disciples that is in the city. And everywhere that these disciples go, everywhere that Jesus goes, the, they are surrounded by crowds of people because they've heard about all of the miracles and all of the great things that Jesus has done throughout his ministry. And so they're surrounded by this crowd of people. And while they're surrounded by a crowd of people, a man comes forward. You see, this man has a son, and his son has been afflicted or possessed by a demon. And this demon is so bad, it's so harmful, that it's actually causing him to harm himself. So he's having seizures, he's throwing himself into water, he's throwing himself into fire, and the father is so desperate for help. And so he comes to these disciples, and he asks them to help deliver his son, to ask heal his son. And so the disciples are doing everything they know to do. They're praying over him, they're trying to cast out the demon, but for some reason, it's just not working. And so they're doing all that they can do, and the crowd is getting a little uh, wild. They're, they're asking, well, what's happening? Why can't the disciples do what, do what they're supposed to do or do what we've heard that they do? And so then Jesus walks onto the scene, and I just imagine our superhero Jesus is just, you know, he's walking onto the scene. He's showing up, right? And I love when Jesus comes onto the scene because as he shows up, he begins to ask questions. He wants to get an idea of what is happening in the situation. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 9, verse 21 through 24. So Jesus is asking questions. In verse 21, he says, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. In verse 22, it says, the spirit often throws him into fire, or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. I'm going to read this next part with some attitude because I feel like that's how Jesus said it. In verse 23, he says, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible for the one who believes the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Today, I want to talk about one simple phrase, if you can. In fact, the title of my message this morning is, if you can. We're going to pray. 
Father God, we thank you for everything that you are to us. We ask that you have your way in this service. Speak in me and through me. Pierce the hearts of every person that is in this room this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this story, we are meeting a man who is struggling with his faith. He is struggling to trust God. You see, the situation he is in seems completely hopeless. He explains that this has been happening to his son for years. He's afflicted. He's hurting himself. He does not see a way out. And so he's asking Jesus, Jesus, if you can, please help us. You see, the man was saying, Jesus, I trust you, kind of. You know, I've heard good things, but I don't know if you can do this for me. He was struggling with trust, and yet he had no other option. The situation was out of his control, and I tried to think about this man and put myself in his shoes. Any parents in the room? You see, as parents, this is what I know about that man. I know that that man had tried everything that he could possibly do to find healing for his son up until this point. I'm sure he visited doctors. I'm sure he took his son to the Pharisees. I'm sure he took him to religious leaders. I'm sure that he tried any medicine that was given to him. He had tried everything that he could possibly do. And still here he was years later with no solution. None of it was in our, his control. And I wonder if anybody in here has ever been in a situation that was not in your control. Come on. Maybe it's your finances, your health, your kids. I wonder if anybody in here has been praying for a family member who's addicted and you just don't see a way that they'll be healed. Maybe you've been praying over your marriage, but your spouse doesn't seem to be interested in finding any kind of reconciliation situations that are out of control. And we find ourselves looking to Jesus as our only hope and yet still questioning if he can even help us. You know, I was looking at my journal a couple of weeks ago and, and just kind of flipping through. I like to go back to old journals and, and really just go back through and meditate and hopefully see that I've made some sort of progress in my life over the past few years. I'm like, Lord Jesus, if I just learned one lesson, I hope that, you know, I can go back into my journals and see that I'm, I'm making progress in life. And so I had gone back through my journals and I was flipping through one in particular from a few years ago and, and I was cringing, you guys. Anybody ever look back at some old stuff. Come on, Facebook profiles. I know. I know back in the day. You look at those Facebook, you're like, oh, why did I say that? So I was doing the same thing in my journal. I'm looking at it and, and I'm reading and I'm flipping page after page after page. I was, every single entry started like this. It would say, God, I'm drowning. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I don't know what you're doing. And I'm a little bit dramatic. I'm like, God, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. But during one of those journaling sessions, I actually remember this moment because I felt like God audibly spoke to me. Mid-complaint, he stopped me. And I wrote down what he said. I'm going to read it to you. I actually have it printed out and put on my wall. He says, how many times are you going to go around this mountain? How many times are you going to face the same situation over and over again and panic? How many times do we have to do this? 
And I wonder if he's asking anybody else in here the same thing. How many times are you going to question if I can come through for you? How many times are you going to panic about the same thing over and over again? You know what the definition of insanity is? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. How many times? And in the midst of that season, he brought me to a scripture in Proverbs 3 verse 5. And it's one that we may all know. I'm going to see if you guys know it. It starts with trust in the Lord and it ends with, oh, you guys went to church growing up. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You see, what I realized is that I was skipping past the with all of your heart part and moving straight to and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways and acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight, thinking, I'll trust him however much I want, but he'll still make my path straight. I'll, he'll still give me guidance and direction. How many of you guys have rewritten scripture in the past? Trust in the Lord however much you want. Trust in the Lord when it's convenient for you. Trust in the Lord when you get desperate enough. And yet this verse is so clear because it says, trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And all of your heart means that there is no room for anyone or anything else. And I wonder if a part of the reason that it is so hard to trust God is because we are leaving room for everything else. We're leaving room for our negative thoughts. We're leaving room for the opinion of every mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, neighbor, we're leaving room for our social media followers. We're leaving room for Google. Anybody trust Google more than God sometimes? Listen, I was telling you guys about my four-month-old, our newborn baby, Mia Lee, and she is absolutely perfect, but it's been a while since, since I had a newborn, and so, you know, I really heavily use Google. And so anytime anything would happen, my first result is to pull out my phone and just start searching to see what the issue is. But has anybody ever Googled symptoms before in your life? Mm-hmm. Yup. So I would get on Google and I'm like, the baby burped weird, Google. What do I do? Just didn't sound right. Google's like, that's very concerning. You need to get to the ER ASAP. And I'm like, okay. Like, we're going to the ER. Like, I'm stressed out. My husband knows. He's like, stop using Google. But there have been times in my life that I have trusted Google more than the word of God. No wonder we are full of anxiety and worry. No wonder we're confused. No wonder we're left feeling hopeless and stressed. It is because we have left room in our heart. So what would happen if we stopped making room? You see, in Mark 9, we have a man that comes to a crossroads. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think in that moment, he's asking Jesus, teach me how to trust you with all of my heart. What would happen if trusting God was our first response and not our last resort? I believe that getting into a habit of trusting God first truly can transform our lives. And so we're going to look at three ways on how we can do that this morning. The first is my favorite Super simple. The first is don't depend on you. Don't depend on you. Before we can trust God fully, we first have to break the habit of only trusting ourselves. 
And so here together, I just want to do one quick counseling moment, get ready to get real. In this room, I want to ask you, think about an example of when somebody has let you down. Actually, I'm going to answer this for you because I thought about an example of when somebody has let me down that I think we could all relate to. You know what I thought? I thought about all of those group projects that we were forced to do in elementary school and middle school and high school. Anybody else? Y'all, I don't like group projects. I despise group projects. And I wonder if there's anybody in here that's like, I love group projects. Let me tell you this. You are the reason that other people in the room do not like <laughs> group projects. I don't like them. In fact, my mom is a college professor. She's been teaching at the college level for, for close to 30 years. And so I went up to my mom and asked her, I'm like, mom, because it's required even in college curriculum. It's like, mom, why? Why are we required to do group assignments? Why do we have to work with other people? She gave me a few reasons I was going to tell you guys what they are, what, what people in, in higher education are thinking when they assign us these group projects. One, it teaches us how to work collaboratively. Two, it teaches us how to increase communication skills. And three, it teaches us to increase reliance on others. And truthfully, I'm sure that it does that for some people. But let me tell you that for me, I had the exact opposite experience. I'm like, just let me do it on my own. I want to get a good grade and I don't trust you. <laughs> you see what group projects told me? They told me and taught me that other people are not reliable. They're not reliable. You see, even in Mark 9, this man brings his son to the disciples, and they prove that they're not reliable. They can't cast out the demon. And so when Jesus enters the scene, he's like, Jesus, even your people couldn't help me, so I don't really know if you can help me. And so after enough disappointments of people letting us down and people rejecting us and people not coming through for us, we all embody the motto, and you guys know it, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That is how I live my life. Used to live my life until <laughs> until I realize that I am just as unreliable as those people that kept making me fail my group projects. Have you ever let yourself down? You ever left your wallet at home on the way out the door? Have you ever spent an hour and a half at the grocery store and still forgotten the milk? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the worst. <laughs> We're unreliable. You know, I was thinking about a time when um, I visited Colorado for the first time. Um, my aunt really loves to travel, and often she would invite us on these trips with her. And so this was a few years ago, and of course, when you're in Colorado, you do as the Colorado Ian's do, I don't know what you call them, um, you do as they do, and you go skiing. And so we decided to go skiing. We had all of our gear on. Um, we, were, we were getting ready. We had our skis on, and we actually even got a ski instructor. And so we're up on this mountain, and, and you know where we start when you first ski. You start on the bunny slopes, right? And so we're on the bunny slopes, and we're doing our thing. We're killing it. I felt like I was like, you know what? I can go to the Olympics for this. Like, I'm killing it. Doing really good. My sister actually tells the story differently. She said that on the bunny slopes, we actually were not doing great. So um, 
<laughs> We're gonna go with that because later on it proved to be true. So we, for some reason, not doing great on the bunny slopes, the instructor says, great, it's time for us to go up to the top of the mountain. I'm like, okay. Great, I don't know why he's letting us do this, but that sounds cool. So we were getting ready to get on the ski lift, and this is where I made my mistake. You see, I've watched a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of people get on ski lifts. You know, I know what skiing looks like. I've seen it plenty of times. But the thing is, I didn't do any research before I actually went skiing. So we get on this ski lift and we go up to the top of the mountain. The ski lift delivers us at the top of the mountain. And here's what I thought was supposed to happen. I thought that we'd stay at the top of the mountain and do our thing for a little bit, you know, like kind of make it down a little bit. And then I thought that the ski lift also takes you back down the mountain. If you've never been skiing before, the ski lift does not take you back down the mountain. I didn't do any research. I had no idea. And so what I realized, the instructor was like, okay, great. We'll see you at the bottom. And we're like, where, how? You know, how do we get back down to the bottom of this mountain? And I actually distinctly remember a moment where we're doing our best to start getting down to the bottom of the mountain, and both my sister and I, and we're not quitters, we give our all in everything that we do, we both sat down on the side of a mountain with skis on and said, we're not going anymore. And I'm sure the instructor was really good, and I'm sure he helped us figure it out, but I don't remember him after that point. I don't know where he went. <laughs> All I remember is that I had to go to my sister, and I was like, listen, we got to figure out a way down. Nobody's helping us. We got to make it down this mountain. We got to get back to the lodge, y'all. There's cocoa there. There's a fire. These Texas girls were not made for this cold, and so we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And so I was like, okay, listen. If we just go and push ourselves off, eventually we'll wipe out and we'll just keep tumbling down the mountain. <laughs> Don't try this at all, y'all. This is a true story. I promise. And so that's what we did. We would just get up, we'd push ourselves off, we'd go down a little bit, and then eventually we'd just tumble down the mountain. It wasn't the best idea, but it worked. I'm here, we made it. I mean, so the truth is, at the end of that, I was extremely, extremely sore, like could not move my body for days. And have I ever gone skiing again? The answer is no. Thanks, guys. But you see, the point is, I failed myself. I failed myself. We think that if you want to do something right, you have to do it yourself, but even we are unreliable. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You see, as humans, it is in our nature to mess up, even for ourselves. We miscalculate, we get it wrong. We don't do research before going skiing for the first time. We are not reliable because we are simply imperfect beings. In fact, in Proverbs 29, 25, it says that fear of man will prove to be a snare. And I thought about that word snare. The word snare actually means a trap. You see that when we see others and when we see ourselves as the source to meet our needs, we will always, always get trapped in a world of hurt, pain and hopelessness. 
<laughs> but then I read that full text in Proverbs 29, 25. You see, it says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You see, if my sister and I had probably just listened to the ski instructor, it would have taken us a long time, it probably would have been hard, but I bet you guys we would have made it down that mountain in one piece. And so I want to shift the paradigm for you this, this morning before we go to point two. If you want something done right, you have to give it to God. Number two, know God's track record. Know God's track record. What I love the most about this main story is how Jesus responds, if I can. Like he's almost incredulous. Jesus has literally been traveling around doing miracles, and it was surprising to him that this man did not understand that, of course, he could help his son. And so I was asking, why did this man question Jesus the way he did? And what I realized is that it was because the man did not understand Jesus's track record. You see, the definition of track record is using a record of past performance as an indicator for future performance. So to give you an example, there are a couple fast food restaurants. One starts with the letter M. I'm going to not say the full name to keep plausible deniability, but whenever I go to that restaurant, I don't know about you guys, but I like to spend a lot of time at that ordering station being very specific about my order. Like, listen. And also, I want to see it on the screen as I am giving my order to them. And then when I go to the window and get my meal, you guys know where I go next? Mm-hmm. To that parking spot right there in the parking lot. And I check my food. You see, the truth is, because of past performance, I don't trust this restaurant's track record to get it right for me every time. But then... There's another restaurant that starts with the letter C. And at this restaurant, they serve the Lord's chicken. <laughs> Praise him. And when I go to this restaurant, I rattle off my order super fast because I know it in the, in the soul, in my soul, and in my being. I tell them what I want. I pull up to the drive-thru. I take my food. And you guys know where I go? Home. You know why? Because it's their pleasure, right? Because I know that they're going to get it right. Because I know that Jeremiah on our worship team is in the back managing those people and saying, get your Leah's order correct. I trust their track record. So let me ask you something. Why is it that we trust a fast food restaurant to get it right? more than we trust our God to come through for us. You, should, you see, we should be asking God, what has he done in the past that proves that he will in the future? Has God ever come through for you? Youth, have you ever passed a test that you didn't study for? That's God coming through for you. Did you get a job that you've been praying for? Come on, that's God coming through for you. Did you drive here in a car? Come on, that's God coming through for you. Do you have running water? That is God coming through for you. Has God ever come through for you. And yet we spend our entire lives asking God if you can. 
But if you would go to his word and read the word of God, he proves over and over and over again that he can. In Genesis, he tells Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, God, I'm old and my wife is barren. How are we going to have a son? And yet he does. And they have a son and they give birth to many nations. In Exodus, he tells the Israelites, you're going to go to the promised land. And it was hard and it was exhausting and they didn't look the way it was supposed to, but they made it to the promised land. In Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies that a virgin will give birth to Jesus and Jesus will die on the cross so that we can spend eternity with him. And guess what? God did it. He did it. Over and over again, proving his faithfulness. And if it's not enough to read the stories of his faithfulness, he says it plainly in his word. In Isaiah 43, 2, he says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. In Psalms 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. I'm going to keep going until you get it. In Psalms 56, 3 through 4, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God's whose words I praise, in God I trust, I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess that he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. When we read scripture after scripture, we should understand that God proves that he has, that he can, and that he will come through for you. Trust his track record. And number three, give your all and then give it all back. Give your all and then give it all back. When we get into a habit of trusting God, we have to trust him with the end result. You know, I was thinking about our seven-year-old. He was six back then, but Chandler. Chandler has such an entrepreneurial spirit. And last year, he came up to me and he said, I want to open up a lemonade stand. And we were like, cool. And we knew that Chandler had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so we wanted to start to give him an idea of what it would look like to open up his own business in the future. And so what we did was we asked him, Chandler, if you want to open up a lemonade stand, we're going to need you to give us a business plan. And you know what Chandler did? That boy gave us a business plan. Actually, we have a picture of it right here. Look at this business plan. <laughs> he did so good. He's six, y'all. He's six. Okay, so there's a table, and then there's a tent because we're in Texas, and then there is lemonade, and his hair is accurate, and it's just super cute. Like, he did this business plan, and even on the back of this business plan, he had a list. We made a list of all of the things that you need to open up a, a lemonade stand, and so we were going through it. On there, you'll notice he said five cents, but thank God for investors and people that breathe into your life because mom and dad came and said, Chandler probably need to sell your lemonade a little bit more than five cents because, you know, inflation. So he did. <laughs> he increased that price. And so we were helping him through this process. But you see, when Chandler gave us his business plan, then Chandler had to release his business plan. Because you see, Chandler's six, which means that Chandler did not have the resources or the ability to make this plan happen on his own. 
You see, Chandler needed the help of his parents and his family to bring this plan together. We called ourselves his investors. And so he had family members that were pitching in. One family member bought him an actual lemonade stand. We spent time researching different lemonade recipes. We bought all of the supplies that he needed. I have my marketing degree, and I was like, boy, let me help you get this on social media. We're going to bring this out for you and make sure that everybody knows we helped him bring it together. So that on November 13th of last year, Lane's Lemonade opened. Why don't you guys, we have some pictures of Lane's Lemonade. Look how cute he is. Lane's Lemonade opened. He actually did a really, really, really good job. I won't tell you how much he made, but if you find him in the foyer, he probably will tell you how much he made. Um, we're still working on him being humble, but we're making, we're taking steps. We're, we're almost there. But you see, Chandler had a plan. You see, trusting God is not an excuse to be passive. God is okay with us working hard and giving our all. If your marriage is struggling, God is okay with you going to counseling and doing what you need to to help fix your marriage. If you're struggling in your finances, God is okay with you starting a monthly budget, getting with a financial planner. He's okay with that. I think most of us know that. I think where we have trouble is in the places where we can't control it anymore. We struggle with the fact that if we really want to see a miracle in our lives, we can't control the entire process. And so we spend our lives questioning God. Y'all, literally God created the heavens and the earth, and we are asking him if he'll come through for us. And I need you to know this morning, one, that God loves you. Then I need you to know that he is for you, that he wants you to win. In Jeremiah, it says that God placed destiny on the inside of us before we were even born. He is our biggest and our best investor. So if you walked in this morning wondering if God could help you in the situation you're in, I want you to know that he can. If you're struggling with your finances, I want you to know that he sees you and he'll help you find a way out. He sees how hopeless your marriage looks and he can bring healing and restoration. He sees you struggling through making decisions on how to raise your, your children and he can help you. I wonder what would happen if we could stop asking if he can and started saying, God, makers of the heavens and the earth. I know you can. Why don't you stand with me this morning?